They may look cute and fuzzy, but grizzly bears are dangerous. Nine feet tall, 800 pounds, sharp claws, strong jaws, can run 35 miles per hour. Imagine an 800-pound grizzly bear charging you at 35 miles per hour. You could be like, ooh, look, here comes Paddington. I think I give, I'll give him a hug. But that kind of thinking ends in a bloody mess. You being the bloody mess. In 2005, a documentary was released titled Grizzly Man about a strange man named Timothy Treadwell and his obsession with grizzly bears. Treadwell spent 13 summers with wild grizzlies, uh, grizzly bears in Katmai National Park and Preserve in Alaska. There's footage of Treadwell walking and swimming with and even petting wild grizzly bears. He actually said, I'm in love with my animal friends. I'm in love with my animal friends. I'm in love with my animal friends. I'm very, very troubled. He said he'd die for the bears. Treadwell's fetish with grizzly bears was bizarre and dangerous. He was warned by park authorities about his careless interaction with the bears and the danger he faced, but he wouldn't listen. On The Tonight Show, David Letterman asked Treadwell about his incident with a ginormous bear named Demon. Treadwell answered, well, again, for most people, please play dead and don't get yourself in that situation. Leave the bears be. But for me, I spoke kindly. I sang to him. I talked to him. I did a little dance. And it went a long way. And I'm fortunate to be here. On October 6, 2003, Timothy Treadwell was mauled and eaten by a grizzly bear, along with his girlfriend. He was warned, but his obsession got him killed. Nationally recognized commercial pilot Sam Egley, who was in the film Grizzly Man, said something about Treadwell that parallels how many people treat lust. Egley said of Treadwell, He was acting like he was working with people wearing bear costumes out there instead of wild animals. Those bears are big and ferocious, and they come equipped to kill you and eat you, and that's just what Treadwell was asking for. Egley added, My opinion, I think Treadwell thought those bears were big, scary-looking, harmless creatures that he could go up and pet and sing to, and they would bond as children of the universe or some odd. I think he had lost sight of what was really going on. I think he had lost sight of what was really going on. The buzz of lust can blind us to what's really going on. Some of you saints struggle with pornography. For some of you saints, lust is among the biggest struggles of your life. You probably feel pretty guilty, maybe trapped, maybe like you're not saved. I want to give you hope. I want you to be reinvigorated in the fight against lust. I want you to know that the fight is worth it and Jesus can help you immensely and you can make serious progress in holiness. Some things may be hard to hear, but God has given you the spirit to help you slay the charging beast. Two weeks ago, I sounded an alarm that there is a big problem, and I identified that big problem. I gave Christ as the solution to that big problem, and I want to expand the solution today. Now, to you unbelievers, you are dead in sin. Your solution is getting saved. You need to be rescued from your sin, so put your trust in Christ immediately or lust will destroy you in the end. 
There is grace for you, unbelievers, at the foot of the cross. Flee to the cross. But as Paul said in Romans 6, 6, for you believers, your old self was crucified with Christ on the cross so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You are no longer a slave to sin. No, no, dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers, you are alive in Christ. The old you is dead. The new you is alive in Christ. You have the spirit of God in you. You have what you need to kill lust. The big problem for you is not enslavement to lust, not being dead in lust, but that you must continue to battle your sinful flesh, which is quite strong. That's your predicament. That's your struggle. Your spirit, it is willing by the grace of God, but your flesh is weak. Still very sinful, but your hope is that Christ is providing you exactly what you need in the battle. Brothers and sisters, we are in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells in us, but we are still at war. Christ has already won the war against lust for us, but we are still fighting. There's that tension, and Christ is still working in us to bring the war to a final end, and we must keep shooting till the ill-fated grizzly of lust is dead, and it will be dead. So what's the solution to lust? Our conquering hero, Jesus. But let's, let's talk more about that. I want to talk candidly with you brothers and sisters, especially if you are struggling with lust. And that may be a lot of you in here. I, I want you to have hope, and I want you to shoot to kill. So I'm, I'm asking that you lift your eyes. You look up from the objects of your lust, and you behold the glory and the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, your Lord. Because he is your solution. Number three, the solution to the big problem. The solution to the big problem. Simply put, the solution to the big problem of lust and sin in the heart is Christ working in you to kill lust and enliven love. The battle actually belongs to the Lord. And so by faith, our fight, it, it, it is a fight of faith. And saints, you have to understand the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus was doing. Jesus was preaching the law. He was exposing the depravity and inability of human beings to fulfill the law. He was exposing human spiritual weakness and need. And he was showing himself as the great king who fulfills the law for his people and kindly brings them into his kingdom to give them a new life. Jesus was describing what life looks like for citizens of the kingdom living beneath his sovereign reign and rule. So what you hear in the Sermon on the Mount is the kind of life the king wants you to live, but also the kind of life the king empowers you to live by grace through faith. It's beautiful. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom belongs to those who know their spiritual poverty and receive the riches of God's grace by faith. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 4? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
you will be comforted when you truly mourn your sin. If you mourn your sin, mourn your lust, mourn your covetousness, the king comforts you with his grace and forgiveness, which then strengthens you in the fight against sin. Now, to justify your lust, to think, well, it's really not that bad, is not to mourn sin. The king comforts those who mourn their sin and lust. Sometime read Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Understand that Jesus Christ, the king, never committed adultery. Not with his hands, not with his eyes, not with his heart. He never sinned. He's the only one pure in heart. And the beauty of the gospel is that the king with the pure heart is working in his people to make them like him, to make their hearts pure like his. He's eradicating lust in his people by his transforming grace. The solution to the big problem of lust is simply this. King Jesus has a pure heart and through faith he is working to make your heart like his. That's the solution. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that only the pure in heart see God. You pure in heart? Uh Uh-oh. If you want to see God, King Jesus must take your heart and make it pure. And he'll do that through faith. He is doing that through faith. Trust him. Saints, tactics, strategies, And behavior modification are all good and they are necessary to kill lust, but they must flow out of the grace that Christ is working in your heart. Getting an internet blocker, that's a great idea. You should do that. You should do it now. You should have already done it, but it will not change your heart. An internet blocker cannot change your heart. If God is convicting you today, maybe recently, that you need to kill lust, you need to make some progress in this, you must begin with Christ transforming your heart. Heart. From there, employ practical strategies to promote holiness. You must begin by trusting that Christ, this is very, very important, you must begin by trusting that Christ has already delivered you from lust through the cross. You're free in Christ. You are not enslaved anymore. You must begin there. And it is that deliverance which then compels you to live consistently with your identity in Christ, who Christ has made you. And then you do that with incredible thankfulness and gratitude. So now look again at verses 29 and 30. Jesus gave this solution. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What on earth does that mean? It kind of sounds crazy. So you really have to think carefully about what Jesus was saying here. First, recognize this. Unrepented of lust leads to hell. 
Second, Jesus said in verse 28, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, the eyes look, the eyes see and look, the heart adds lustful intent into the look. So Jesus added, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. The eye is linked directly to the heart. And sometimes adultery moves out of the heart through the eyes and into the hands. So Jesus added, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. The solution that Jesus gives is simple. Kill sin at all levels. Kill it. Deal with it. Get rid of it. Kill sin in the heart. Kill sin in the hands. Kill sin in the eyes. Kill sin. Do whatever it takes to kill sin. If lust is in your mind, your eye and your hand follows the mind. So ultimately, the heart must be transformed by grace for the eye and the hand to be transformed. But as the heart is being transformed by grace, the eye and the hand need clear boundaries, boundary lines. The idea is to be aggressive in eradicating all causes of sin, all causes of lust. If your eye lingers on what it should not see, gouge it out and throw it out. If your hand touches what it should not touch, cut it off and throw it out. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, key in on that phrase, causes you to sin. The word is scandalizo, which means to cause to stumble into sin or to cause to trip up and fall into sin. Now, this is an odd thing for Jesus to say. Hey, folks, my disciples, they're going to gouge out their eyes and throw it out. They're going to cut off their hands. They're going to maim themselves. Is that, I mean, does Jesus want us to maim our bodies? which he gave us to glorify him with? No, no. Keep in mind, Jesus used hyperbole to make a point. Hyperbole is exaggeration to make a point. Haven't I told you that a million times? Get it? See what I just did there? Jesus means be fanatical to kill sin in you. He, He wasn't advocating handicapping yourself. Because that's not where the big problem really is anyway. Jesus was advocating going to great measures to rid yourself of the cause and the opportunities to lust. So the question is, what causes you to lust? Your heart. Okay. So you must, your heart must be continually transformed by grace. But also, what else causes you to lust? Your lifestyle, your choices, your entertainment, your circumstances. Jesus' point is to eliminate everything that causes you to trip up and to fall into sin. Live without that thing. Get rid of that thing. So you need to focus on your heart. Focus on Christ changing your heart. But then you also need to avoid whatever provokes lust, whatever brings it up for you. Avoid the things that trip you up. Kill the lust in your heart as you avoid temptations to look and to touch. Does that make sense? Can you nod if it makes sense? I've lost at least 95% of you. That's not helpful. All right. In both 29 and 30, hopefully it will make sense to you later. Uh, Jesus said, it is better, 
that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into or go into hell. His point is, it is so much better to go through life without the things that cause you to sin than to keep those things and to go to hell, which implies something awesome. If you are willing to sacrifice that which causes you to sin in order to slay sin inside of you, you will not go to hell. You will see God. That is a tremendous blessing. The sacrifices that you make, and I think some of you really need this to go. I need this to penetrate deep into my heart. The sacrifices you make to kill sin and pursue righteousness are worth it. Because the avoidance of hell means beholding God in all of his glory. Your life is going to look strange. Strange. You're going to be weird. You won't do what others do. And you'll do those things that hardly anybody does. And people might accuse you of being a Puritan, a prude, a Debbie Downer. Why are you always talking about that? Let's just go and do it. You might not be invited anymore. Kids, teenagers, there's a cost to following Christ. But your sacrifice will be worth it when you see God. So throw your sin to hell before it throws you to hell. Or as the famous Puritan John Owen wrote, be killing sin or it will be killing you. As you kill sin, you promote your greatest joy. You you put that to death so that you can have something so much better. Pleasure in God. Verses 29 and 30 is what true repentance looks like. And they imply, these two verses imply true forgiveness, actual forgiveness from God. Jesus' words, they don't make any sense if God does not forgive those who turn to him. They just fall flat. And so God forgives, think about this, those who gouge out their eye and cut off their hand. Jesus was calling his disciples to do then what only grace can empower them to do. You know what? Too often, we want to cuddle the grizzly bear. We mistake the snarling and salivating beast for Paddington. Lust is not Paddington. It's the bear that ate Timothy Treadwell. Don't cuddle it, kill it. Kill, kill, kill. Calvin said this, If the mind were pure, the eyes and hands would be obedient to it. For it is certain that they have no movement of their own, but here we are deeply to blame. We are so far from being as careful as we ought to be to avoid allurements that we rather provoke our senses to wickedness by allowing them unbounded liberty. That's exactly what entertaining, loving American Christians need to hear. What I need to hear. We are so far from being as careful as we ought to be to avoid allurements that we rather provoke our senses to wickedness by allowing them unbounded liberty. We scoop fire into our laps and we expect that we won't get burned. Timothy Treadwell is a tragic story of unbounded liberty. True liberty. 
has boundaries, has walls. You can't step over that. That's true liberty inside of those boundaries. And if you're not setting good boundaries because of your propensity to lust, you are not being careful enough. You're cuddling the grizzly and expecting not to get mauled and eaten. One commentator wrote that when a person takes sin seriously... There will be unrestrained commitment to the use of all possible means to avoid sin. Do you understand that it's not perfection? This is just saying it is a, I am firmly committed to doing whatever I need to do to avoid sin. That's what it is. That you're serious about sin when that's your attitude. The goal is to kill sin before it kills you. And to do that, you must treat sin seriously, and then you must make big sacrifices. You've got to stop doing some stuff. You've got to cut off some of that liberty and have some bounded liberty. We must target our heart as well as our physical body and our lifestyle. Now, let's get more practical here. Let's think about how the gospel compels us to act. We need practical. And please don't detach this message from the last message. It all goes together. Okay, we need the gospel here. But what does tearing out your right eye and throwing it away and cutting off your right hand and throwing it away look like practically for believers? And so my goal is simply to give you a few practical things to do. There's, there's more to do that Scripture gives us, but these few are sin-slaying slugs from the shotgun of faith. Okay? Number one, regularly present your mind and body to God, cast off the works of darkness, and put on Christ. Regularly present your mind and body to God, cast off the works of darkness, and put on Christ. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Isn't that hopeful? That is great. Saints, to conquer lust, we must present ourselves to God because He has broken us from slavery to sin and bondage and its dominion. We're broken of it. In Christ, you have been brought from death to life. You are under grace. Now present your mind and your body to God for righteousness. Romans 13, 12 through 14 says, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You must cast off what causes you to lust. You must say no to bad stuff, but you must also say yes to good stuff. 
Say yes to good stuff. Put on faith, hope, and love. Put on truth. Put on righteousness. Put on the gospel. Put on salvation. Hide the word of God in your heart. Pray, pray, pray. You do this precisely because, dear brothers and sisters, you have been brought from death to life. I read Colossians 3, 1 through 17 earlier in the service. These verses explain to you, to us, how to conquer lust. Because you are alive in Christ, firm reality, because you are alive in Christ, okay, seek what's above. Set your mind on what's above. Kill what's earthly in you. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on love above everything else. Be thankful. Oh, be a thankful person for God's grace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, there's more in those verses, but Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is a textbook of how to conquer and fight lust. In a helpful article titled, How to Mortify Sin, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, love that man, explains very helpfully how to kill sin. Listen carefully. The negative task of putting sin to death will not be accomplished in isolation from the positive call of the gospel to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spells this out in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Sweeping the house clean simply leaves us open to a further invasion of sin. But when we understand the glorious exchange principle of the gospel of grace, then we will begin to make some real advance in holiness. As sinful desires and habits are not only rejected, but exchanged For Christ-like graces and actions, as we are clothed in Christ's character and his graces are held together by love, not only in our private life, but also in the church fellowship, Christ's name and glory are manifested and exalted in and among us. The essence of the gospel is not, don't you do that. It's not the essence of the gospel. It's more about... You've been redeemed from that, and because you are loved and accepted by God, now do this, which is so much better. That's that's more about what the gospel is like. And of course, Christians, don't just hear grace, 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 grace. I don't have to do anything. No, you, you have to do a lot by grace, by the Spirit's leadership in you. You have to reject Tons of stuff in this world. You have to say no. You can't go near it. You're too weak. But it's for your good in order for God to to free you from that and, and for you to live for this, to do something so much better. Christ redeems us to be truly free. Freedom has boundaries, but it's true freedom to express inside of that so that we can live a better life for him. Number two, walk by faith and the Spirit. Walk by faith and the Spirit. Paul said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul also said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So everything inside of you should be like, what in the world does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Because if I do that, I know I'm not going to gratify these sinful, sick desires inside of me that I can feel there all the time. Well, scholar F.F. Bruce said this about that. Walk by the Spirit means let your conduct be directed by the Spirit. I think that's pretty easy. 
Let your conduct be directed by the Spirit of God. The desires of the flesh are quite strong. Can we get an amen for that? I mean, they are inside me, really strong. But the desires of the Spirit can actually help you win. Make some serious progress here, which is really, really... You know what happens when we make progress in that? We just get more thankful for God's grace. That's what happens. If you are not a thankful person, the chances are your understanding of the gospel is really thin. But if you are just so radically thankful for grace, then when you have a small little victory, you just end up, that was awesome. God, you were so faithful to me. On any other day, I would have pursued that to my own death. But today, you delivered me. Thank you, God. And then you just get encouraged. Hey, we can do this. God can work in us. His grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. Let's do this. So walk by the spirit that God graciously gave you as a gift. All right, number three, flee lust and pursue righteousness with other believers. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, I'm not sure I ever saw this second part of this, but this is really good. He said, so flee youthful passions And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But he doesn't stop there. He says, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. I love that part of the verse. There is a mob of people running fast away from pornography and lust and sexual sin. They are hustling. They are going and going and going and they're saying no to explicit material and they're running to better pleasures in God and what you need to do is find those people and join them. Join the mob. Exercise. Run. Flee. Number four. This one's really important. Trust God to use his ordinary means of grace to transform your heart and to help you fight. Trust God to use his ordinary means of grace to transform your heart and help you fight. What do I mean by ordinary means of grace? Please hear where I'm coming from here. You are not serious about loving God and killing lust unless you are serious about corporate worship. That's not an overstatement. Preaching, the sacraments, prayer, Even the shepherding care provided you in the local church. Paul said in Romans 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Christ Christ-centered preaching strengthens you and emboldens you in the fight against lust. The war against lust. One well-respected evangelical leader, you might know his name, uh, he said this, despite the awareness of the problem, most churches do not have programs specifically designed to assist those struggling with porn use, end of quote. Now, that's interesting. I am not against programs, not, not against them, but this leader seems to overlook the power of preaching. Preaching is God's program for spiritual growth. 
Perhaps we should put more confidence in the power of the gospel rightly preached in the church to create the change that a lot of us are so longing to see and we want in our family members. Perhaps, perhaps our preaching should be more gospel-centered. Perhaps our preaching should be more Christ-centered so that there's more transformative power in it. Alongside the gospel preached, God uses the sacraments to strengthen faith and assure us that we belong to him with body and soul, both in life and in death. We need the sacraments. And then there's corporate prayer where we pray for each other. Are you kidding? That's great. And when we pray without ceasing, we're vocalizing our continual need for God to work. We're asking him to work, and then we're thankful that he actually is working in us. Acts 20, verse 28 shows that God has provided elders in the local church to care for the people. Jesus, this has to sink in here. Jesus cares for your soul and mine through shepherds in the local church. Do you trust your shepherds to help you fight and are you submitting to your shepherds? Number five, this one's going to be really, really hard for some of you and maybe that's the reason why you haven't made as much progress as you'd like because you're scared of this one. Number five, confess your lust to a few key people who can pray with you. Confess your lust to a few people Key people who can pray with you. If you allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to truly know you, to get close to the real you, to see all that garbage, or at least a lot of it maybe, the accountability that they will give you is absolutely invaluable to you, precious to you, a wonderful gift. And being vulnerable with others is so much easier when you believe the gospel and when you realize that every single believer around you is struggling deeply with their flesh. Now, they might not tell you that. They might not let on. But you know, if you know your Bible, they're going through some sick and twisted stuff. I got to pray for them. That just makes sharing so much easier that we're all in this together, folks. You don't struggle with something that's so unique from the person that struggles with something here, that struggles with something. It's all at the core, pretty much the same thing. We're not trusting God. We're looking to our own ways. So we're in this together, all right? God's word assures you that that is true, so be open. You don't have to necessarily confess your lust or sin to everybody under the face, you know, on planet Earth. That would not be wise. A few mature believers is enough. James mentioned forgiveness in his passage, and then he said this in James 5, 16. Therefore, forgiveness, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you know that that's a command to you if you love God? It's a command. Are you obeying the command? There are a few people that you're letting in on your life. We must pray for each other. We must confess our sins to other Christians. And those who obey this command, those who see that and say, I want that because I take sin seriously, you will be so blessed as you confess those things to a few people that love you that can pray with you against those things. You just will. You'll be blessed and you'll make progress. Porn and lust are so extremely sensitive in the church. They're, they're topics that are so sensitive. And so I recommend to you this. 
Therefore, because of the sensitivity and seriousness of it, a husband and a wife must foster openness, patience, and love in talking about their deepest struggles. Are you serious about this? You have to know. You cannot do it without that one. If your spouse does not know, or if you're one to be like, you sick and twisted, dirty, I don't even want you, 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 unhealthy. Your sin worse than their, I mean, we have to be careful with this kind of stuff. Now there is a, please hear me, there is a lot to be said about what I just said. A lot of situations and nuances that I am not covering here that deserve a whole lot of, uh, of clear truth. So I'll, I'll simply say this, foster an environment of grace where you fight sin together. That's my point. And, and then if something is out of control, you got to get outside help. Okay? It's not stuff it or I'll just overlook his sin this time. And there are certain circumstances that you got to get outside help when you need it. Also, if you do not have an open relationship with your kids and are not talking openly about pornography and lust with them, I say this in love, you have much work to do as a parent and your kids are headed for trouble. Remember, the average age of first exposure to porn is eight years old. And 90% of eight to 16-year-olds have viewed porn. And that statistic is largely because parents are foolish. So if you think, not my kids, not my kids, your head is stuck in the sand. Get it out of the sand and live in real life. Parents, your love, your openness, your grace, your patience, your law gospel parenting is priceless to your children. Please give them that. You can't afford to sleep on this. Don't condemn them. Just talk with them. As, as someone who has wrestlings and longings of the soul and things, as they do, talk to them honestly. Create a safe place for your kids to open up to you because they see the gospel at work in you and give them the law and give them the gospel for their greater joy in God. Dr. Patricia Greenfield from UCLA, don't know if she's a Christian, I assume probably not, she said this, a warm and communicative parent-child relationship is the most important factor in reducing porn use among children. Now, the law and gospel have to be part of that warm and communicative uh, parent-child relationship. I'm adding that part. But parents, you are a huge factor in your child making progress in this area and being safe. You're huge. Secular studies show it. Number six. This might make some of you blush. Rejoice in the wife of your youth with gratitude. A healthy marriage, please listen closely, will not kill lust in you. It's not the answer. If you're single, oh, if I just got married, then I would, no, no, wrong thinking. It will not solve it because what, what you have is a heart issue, and only Christ can fill that. So don't think that getting married is going to solve it for you. It won't. It won't. Your spouse cannot do for you what only the gospel can do. That being said, a healthy marriage is a huge blessing and protection against lust when enjoyed with gratitude. That's absolute fact. Fight lust by working on your marriage. Maybe we should listen to the flamingos and apply the words of their song. I only have eyes for you. 
I would go a long way. All right? Don't look at that woman's body. Look at your wife's body and enjoy her as the sweet gift that she is from God just for you. Treasure your wife and her body. Enjoy your husband and his body. Have sex often with your spouse. And if you think that I am being too candid here and open on this Sunday morning about this topic, listen to how God puts it. He's more explicit than I am. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated Always in her love. Why does God talk like that? Why does he talk like that? Why is that in the Bible? Why does God tell husbands to be intoxicated with their wife's love? Because sex inside a healthy and loving marriage is wonderfully sanctifying. It helps you become more like Jesus. God also says to married couples, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Why does God put stuff like that in the Bible? Because it makes total sense. That's why. God recognizes our lack of self-control sometimes in this area of sexuality, and he gives regular sex with your spouse as a wonderful protection against sin. Don't abuse these passages, which we are prone to do, and create weird rules. Don't abuse what God's saying here, but we actually, I'm calling you to believe what God said. Believe him. It's a good plan. Considering how confused our culture is on sex and how most people abuse sex, I think we need more healthy marriages that show the world what sex is all about. Our kids need to see healthy, loving, affectionate, exciting marriages. Do your kids, ask yourself this, want what you have? Or would they prefer and find Hollywood more exciting? That's what I want because I know I don't want that because that looks like it stinks. You've got to ask these things as a parent, as a grandparent. Fight lust by investing in your marriage. And please don't take me out of context on that last point. Take it for as God says it. Number seven, you must make drastic lifestyle changes. So here are a few for you to think about. Maybe some will help you. You may think I'm crazy, but you already do. And uh, maybe, maybe you think what I'm about ready to say is crazy because you're cuddling the grizzly. So here we go. Get an internet filter and blocker for absolutely every device that you have in your home. And shame on you if you've allowed your children to have those devices with no blockers and accountability. That's bad parenting. You made a mistake. Confess it and then... Make it right. Give accountability. It's got to be there. It's not an invasion of privacy. It's called loving your child. Reject most movies. Flat out reject them. Most. Probably 99 point something percent. Just don't watch them. But if you do choose to watch one, read the reviews carefully before watching the movie. If a movie has explicit sexual content, don't watch it. The fast forwarding rule, which is some of your outs, bad rule. It's really stupid. One, 
So let me justify that statement. One, you've already seen some of it. Two, you can still see it while fast-forwarding it. Three, if you get your wife to fast-forward it, she's seeing it, and you're not protecting her spiritually and you're being a bad spiritual leader. Four, if you tell someone you've seen the movie, they probably have seen that you've seen that part, which is a bad witness, and you're defacing the gospel. And five, you've supported a sexually explicit material. Need any other reason? Great. Glad you got that one. Cancel your cable or your dish or whatever you have, or, since I know you hate what I just said, (laughs) or put filters and controls on it. And some of you are like, I don't even know, I just know how to turn. Ask your like eight-year-old to come and help you put it on for you. Say, I need this. Would you help me do this? Destroy everything in your possession and in your home that is immodest, sensual, provocative, or pornographic. The J.C. Penney's catalog is not helpful. All of those things that I just said, there's plenty more. You can fill in the blank and have fun, but they will help you. They will, if you're serious about this. And I frequently find, so this is my last thing as I end it. I don't even know how long I've gone. I don't care, but maybe you do. All right. I frequently preach topics that I look at and say, I can't say everything that needs to be said. Good grief. You know, I I mean, how do you handle this and get all the angles and hurts and pains and abuses and all, how do you, how do I even do that? And so... Just know that I am aware of at least some of the things behind these that we haven't explored, and I just want to be helpful with the gospel. I can't go down every angle and rabbit trail, or else we'd be here for the next 12 weeks. I mean, it's a big topic. And so if that is a case for you that you recognize he really didn't seem to capture this, here's what to do. Send me an email. And, and let me either clarify or help point you to other things that might be able to isolate that one particular issue. It's already happened once this morning, you know, where someone asked me a good question. And so we can dialogue about that. I can't say everything in like 65 minutes that I'm going to go this morning. So you, you get where I'm coming from. So I'd love to help you explore those topics deeper if you need help with them, if your marriage is in trouble, if you are addicted to porn and you're just like, I don't even know what to do. Start with just sitting down with me. I'll keep it confidential. We'll work it through and help you move ahead because our heart here is to move you ahead. We know you're wrestling with stuff, so let's move you ahead. What's that next step look like in holiness for you? Okay? So let me help you in your battle. Let the elders help you in your battle. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you've been so merciful to us to give us clear gospel truth. I know some of my brothers and sisters are struggling deeply, if not with lust, with other stuff. So God, we really need your precious grace, your strong grace. We need you to show up and to fight the battle for us because our spirit is willing. We want to follow you. Uh, but we're finding that we're really weak. Our flesh is, the, the, the tug and pull of our flesh is quite strong. I pray for victory this morning. I pray for, um, for someone to make progress in holiness, for them to move a step ahead, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.